Let us pray together. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right spirits in us. Open our hearts that we may receive a good word from you. Open our ears that we may hear it. Open our eyes that we may see it. Open our hands that we may offer it to others. And as always, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I remember when I was about 12 years old, I was invited by my parents to go to the local Baptist college's annual Achievement Day dinner. It was the first big fancy dinner I had been invited to that was full of lots of speechifying. And as a 12-year-old, I discovered for the first time just how tedious and long that can be. But I went because I was excited to be there among the adults. And at the Achievement Day dinner at this institution, my mother's alma mater, they had special graduates that they recognized for their achievements in the arts or science, the humanities. But also, this was a special year because the president, who had been there for 10 years, Dr. Field, was going to be leaving before the next Achievement Day dinner, and the new president, Dr. Kingsley, was going to be coming in. So as these speeches were made, there kept being a tipping of the hat to the outgoing president, Dr. Field, about all the good things he had done for the school. He had pulled them out of a deficit. He was starting new, innovative programs. He was leading them into the future. He had even helped pick his successor to lead them into further visions and dreams of what the institution can be. And I can tell you that that college is thriving today because of the work of these two men and the teams they built around them. But as I was sitting at that dinner and I heard all these speeches leading up to the final speech, more and more praise heaped on the outgoing president. And when Dr. Field got up to speak, an old Baptist pastor, he paused for a long time and he said, this is better than being at your own funeral. <laughs> And the people in the crowd laughed. But as a 12-year-old, I didn't get the joke. And I asked my father to explain it to me. And I still didn't get the joke. I think there's a transition sometimes of when we go from being children to teenagers and then to adults. For those of who have been, us who have been blessed in loving families and loving schools where lots of attention was paid on us about our gifts and the things that we do well and encouraging us along the way. But as we get older, sometimes more and more expectations are heaped up on us. Sometimes more and more critique. And so to hear in an evening all sorts of good things said about you, well, it kind of feels like you're at your own funeral and the eulogy is being delivered. That's what a eulogy means, literally a good word a sign of praise. And I'm aware that when we do memorial services and funerals, we try very much to highlight the really good points about the one who has gone on. It's also true when we write letters of recommendation. We try to emphasize the things that are best about these, this person to magnify them and to gingerly tiptoe or even ignore the things that don't go so well. We want to put that person 
in the best light possible. When I was graduating from college, I knew that I wanted to go on to graduate school, but not quite immediately. And the field placement office there had a special system in which you could ask professors to write letters of recommendation for you, and they would hold them on file for a decade or so until you finally decided to apply. So I asked three of my favorite professors to write letters of recommendation for me. And you know, the problem is when you ask someone to write a letter of re recommendation, you often have to hound them to make sure it gets done. I'm looking at our seminarian right now. So I, I was pretty sure these letters of recommendation had been done. I graduated. And one of these professors was very special to me because she was a taskmaster. She had an amazing brain, much smarter than I could ever hope to be. She entertained many conversations with me in office hours with all my undergraduate self-absorption and earnestness about what I was going to make of my life. And the good grades I got in her courses were my most prized marks as an undergraduate. So a few months after I graduated, I happened to be back in the placement office at my alma mater, and I asked someone just to be sure all three letters had made it in the file. So he went and checked. And then I was so bold and cagey to say, is there any possibility I could get a copy of those? And he made copies for me. And I read the letter of recommendation from this professor I admired so much. It was about a page and a half long, and she wrote things she had never said to my face, but had been going on in her mind. And the one that stood out to me, as she said, Kent has a great interest in the life of the mind and the life of faith. And I find it significant that he's the only undergraduate with whom I have ever shared my own spiritual journey. Well, given the relationship and how intimidated I was by this professor, it hit me right in the heart. It brought tears to my eyes, and I will have to say, it put another log on the truck that scooted me toward Divinity School. It's a good thing I had those copies because the time frame expired by the time I applied to Divinity School. I wrote that professor and said, would you be willing to submit this again? And she was. I say this because I think too often we go through life and we don't say to people the good things, the things we notice about them, the things they may not notice about themselves or be aware of, things that may actually make a difference in their lives. Now Paul here is speaking about letters of recommendation in the ancient world. He's actually a little mocking about them. He is trying to set up a new church in Corinth, trying to get them on their way. He is, in the word of modern evangelicals, a church planter, starting new churches around the Mediterranean. And the custom was, if you were going to be introduced to someone, you had better have your letter of reference. This is an example of a letter of reference from that era, from Asclepiades to Zenon. This is the greeting. Philo, the bearer of this letter to you, has been known to me for a considerable time. He is sailed up in order to obtain employment in certain sections of the Bureau of Philiscos, being recommended by Phileas and other accountants. Be so good, therefore, as to make his acquaintance and introduce him to other persons of standing assisting him actively, both for my sake, 
and for that of the young man himself. For he is worthy of your consideration and will be evident to you if you receive him into your hands. Farewell. A letter of recommendation trying to set someone on their way. You might do this yourselves when you're trying to introduce people, often with a cyber introduction. Two people who don't know each other, you send them an email together and introduce them to each other and hope it may take off. Or any of us applying for a job usually need to have a resume in hand with a list of references that can then be called, hopefully with our permission. Paul wasn't sure they needed letters of recommendation. He almost scoffingly starts this passage, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And then he goes on to say how things should be slightly different in the Christian world, the world that he and others are just developing and creating. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Now, Paul is most likely speaking of human hearts not as these centers of emotion and feelings that we often think of in our day, but those centers of our innermost self, the center of our personality, the place where our spiritual and intellectual activity lies, where God begins the work of renewal. My message to you today is short, but it is in three questions I want to send you home with. The first one is fairly easy, which is, are there ways that you and I could be expressing our appreciation, magnifying the qualities of others around us, our admiration and our gratitude in ways that we forget to do or just don't take the time to do? It is true often that those nearest and dearest to us, either in our families or at work, are the people we give the least amount of praise to and the most amount of criticism. Maybe it's because there's a familiarity there that we think we can do that. So that would be a good place to start with those nearest and dearest. But then to take it outward, if someone does a kindness to you to remember them, or if you see them practicing a kindness or exhibiting that quality that is so unique to them and wonderful, highlighting it for them and showing them what they may fail to see about themselves. So the first question is, are there ways that we could be expressing this gratitude and recommendation more actively? The second question is, if God were to write a letter of recommendation on your heart about your life, lifting up and magnifying those God-given qualities that are special to you, what would God write? This is a good question for us to put into our prayer life. Would it be your kindness, your patience, your per perseverance, your hard-working attitude, your ability to be at peace, 
your ability to relax and go with the flow. I invite us to take some time, and perhaps even on your order of worship, to write down some of those words that you think God would write on your heart to recommend you to other people. So first, how can we express this letter of recommendation to other people actively? Second, if God is going to write it on your heart, what would God write? And the third question I leave with you with, if you and I, as Paul suggests, were actually living letters of recommendation for the ministry of God, how would people read us? What would they see in us that recommends God to them, that makes them even want to try God out? Would it be that we work for justice? Would it be that we accept people no matter where they come from in life? Would it be that we honor children among us? Would it be that we take care of elders? Would it be that we believe that music is essential to the life of faith? That it carries us along when words can't? I wonder how people read us when we go about life. You and I have been doing a lot of reading of the candidates, of their small gestures of their words, of their emphasis, the ways that they may be subtly digging at each other or not so subtly digging at each other, but we're constantly reading them of the things that they are recommending to us, ways of running this country, ways of dealing with foreign powers around the world. Whenever you and I meet someone, we are constantly reading them on their first and second impressions of how we might engage with them. So I invite us to think about how God is writing us to be living letters of recommendation. You might start with the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5 that we referenced in our opening hymn. There are nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, generosity, and self-control. You might start there and ask, are you helping God write that on the page of your heart? Are you opening up a tablet to God that you might receive that word and live it with your life? This I pray for all of us. Amen. Amen.